Father, that's our praise to you today that because of all you are, all who you are, all that you've done, we lay ourselves down. We want to do that this morning as we come to you, as we dive into your word. May you have all the praise and all the glory and the honor this morning. Pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated as you're seated. I'm going to dismiss all of our kids. Thanks for the energy this morning. Man, that was awesome to be able to experience and see and hear. And, you know, as they're being dismissed, I want to invite each and every one of you who are staying to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. And we're going to be in chapter 5 today. As we are in chapter 5, we've really been in chapter 5 of Matthew since Memorial Day. And as we've been in there since Memorial Day, um, really we started there with the Beatitudes. As we started the Beatitudes, we talked about this flipped way of thinking. And that flipped way of thinking led to us talking about how we live different and live this good life that we've been talking about. Now, it's not the same good life that the world's going to try and promise you. And it's probably not the same good life maybe you've heard from a prosperity gospel along the way. It is the good life that Jesus teaches us about and promises us in Him. And so as we are diving in that in today, we need to understand that this is a different world that we live in from what Jesus would have us be. And, and as we look at it, there's a different life that he's called us to. There's a different life that even, like I said, some religious leaders of the day then and today would be teaching us to live. As a matter of fact, I've been using a lot of different study materials as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And one of them I've been using is by a guy named D.A. Carson. And D.A. Carson has a book. I hadn't really paid that close of attention to the title of the book until even yesterday. And the title of the book was this. It says, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and His Confrontation with the World. And that's truly what it is. That truly is what it is. And as I began to look at it, this summarizes the whole thing. Jesus' confrontation with the world. Jesus is confronting bad theology. Jesus is confronting bad teaching. Jesus is confronting there, the people that are sitting, as well as our beliefs on what the good life really is. That's why he gathered his disciples together for this teaching. That's why he was okay when the crowds began to gather around and listen in. That's why he was even okay that the Pharisees and the scribes were also within that crowd. He wanted to tell them the truth of what God wanted for them and with them. He wanted them to know that. And I know we've talked about this before, but let me just recap. In order to get what Jesus is saying and not misinterpret it even ourselves, we have to look at the fact that the culture that Jesus was t teaching was different even than our culture today. The people who had gathered, including the disciples, see, they had been led by the teachings of the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so in that, those scribes and those Pharisees, well, let's just tell you who they were real quick. The Pharisees were a legalistic group, a ritualistic group of Jewish leaders, and the scribes were the ones who wrote down the law and they copied down the law for people to have and people to hear. So these two groups, they find this, they, they really a tight-knit group. They, they became this tight-knit group of legalists that over the years began to twist Scripture. 
began to offer a less than biblical system based on teachings and traditions of men. And that lowered the bar. That created a substandard biblical way of living. And it made it possible for them to attain self-righteousness by doing their own thing. Basically said, hey, we're going to make the standards. That way we can live up to the standards and we can call ourselves righteous. That's where we find ourselves in all of this. And I say substandards because the truth is the Old Testament, the Old Testament was a high standard set by God for his people. He was sharing that in such a way. And the problem was, if you look throughout Israel, Israel's history, they began to drift in kind of a downward spiral away from God. And in that, they began to say, you know what? We can't live up to that high standard that God has set, so therefore we will set our own standards. It'll sound biblical, but we're going to take some of that biblical stuff and we're going we're to twist it to make it fit with what we want. We don't want to go to God for His grace for our salvation. We want to earn it on our own. We want to set rules and say, I can earn my way into heaven. I know that as I say it, I said the culture wasn't that similar, but when we say that out loud, it sounds very similar to today's culture. That we want to set our own rules. We want to do it on our own, in our own way, in our own pride. But because of that, we couldn't meet God's standard that is defined in His Word. So we rewrite it. We have a man-made system that we can keep. And that was the same then as it is today. Jesus actually calls them out in a more specific way than He does in the Sermon on the Mount when He says in Matthew 15, 9, these words. He says, they worship me in vain teaching as doctrine human commands. You're teaching the ways of man and you're worshiping in me in vain because you're only doing it for yourself. What you're teaching is not God's law. That's why starting in verse 17 of chapter 5 that we've been in here, he says to the group, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. You guys are missing it. And I've come to fulfill it. And then skipping down into verse 20, he actually calls him out again. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get to the kingdom of heaven. Unless you rise above the substandard junk that has been taught to you over and over and over again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. If you think you can do it on your own, you are going to miss out. And then as we've moved in and moved on here in the Sermon on the Mount, six different times, he says the words this, you have heard that it was said by your ancestors, but I tell you. Six different times he says that. Basically saying this substandard, this lowered the bar teaching that you've heard isn't right. So I am going to correct it. I am here to tell you that every time I'm going to tell you this, you aren't righteous. You cannot earn it. You can't do it on your own. You are a sinner. And he begins to unlay that. He basically says, hey, I know what you think. You thought as long as I don't kill somebody, you're good. He says, nope. If you have anger in your heart, that's a problem. You got to check your heart. Then he says, you know, you say, I haven't committed adultery. You think you're good. He says, nope. You got to check your heart for the lust that's in it. Last week we talked about the idea of, of, hey, they thought as long as I give a woman a piece of paper to get out of my marriage, I'm good. And you know what Jesus says? Nope. 
And we're going to say that a lot, by the way, today. So I'm okay with a little response. A little bit of energy in here. The kids all left and you guys all went. <laughs> the idea is, he's saying, no. What you guys keep saying is wrong. You have to check your heart. And basically what's happening is he's sitting on the side of this mountainside and he's teaching all those people, but as he's teaching, he's literally stripping them of their self-righteous thinking. He's saying, that isn't the way it is. Your standard is too low. Your ethics are too low. You're focusing on the wrong part of life. You're looking at the external system when I want you to look at the internal heart. That is what he is telling us here. He says, guys, you're sinners. You are angry, lustful, hateful, and selfish. You are sinners. And as we're going to see today, not just read those things, we're also full of lies. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, if you don't get it fixed, you will not see the kingdom of God. There is no good enough. There's no good enough. You can't try harder. God's standard that he laid out is far beyond the standard that you're trying to live up to. If you look at that last verse in chapter 5, as Jesus wraps up this section, it's Matthew 5, 48. Maybe you've heard this verse before. But these are the words that it says. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what a therefore is therefore? to wrap up everything that came before it. So all the things that he's talking about, he says, here it is, here's all wrapped up in one verse. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anybody here meet that standard? Okay, I'm not seeing any hands. That's a good thing. So you realize who you are. Going back to our Beatitudes, you are poor in the Spirit. We are not perfect. We have fallen short of God's perfect standard. His bar is perfection. His standard is perfection. Nobody meets it. How do we meet it? Through Jesus Christ. We need a new heart. We need Jesus. That is the truth of the matter. We can't earn it. We can't do any of those things. He imputes it. He gives it to us. That righteousness that we need. He puts it in us and on us as we put our faith and trust in him. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. The Sermon on the Mount is pointing people away from themselves and towards a redeemer. He is that redeemer. He's pointing it to himself. He says, hey, it's not on you. It's not on what you can do. It's on me, he says. And he wants to strip away anything that's going to get in the way. Anything you might think that gets in the way, and that's where the Beatitudes come in. We have the poor in spirit. We have the mourn over your sin. We have come humbly before God. We have hunger and thirst for righteousness, that righteousness that only Christ can give. We don't hunger and thirst for it because we want to attain it because he has it and we want to have him and be a part with him because we're sinners who miss the mark. Today, Jesus is going to point out the fourth of his six, hey, here's where you miss the mark. Not saying that it was only limited to six, but he kept it short, I think. Or maybe he didn't. Sometimes I think the Sermon on the Mount, it takes me 15 minutes to read. My guess is that's not how long he preached it. This is just Matthew's kind of Cliff Notes version of it for us. And there's probably a whole lot more that we don't even get out of all of this. But in it, we see the fourth one, that man doesn't meet the standards that God has given us. And he goes, says, go beyond this outward attempt. And this outward, hey, this is how it looks. And he says, instead, look right at your heart. 
how do we get to the heart of the matter? Well, the thing is, as Jesus even points it out in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he said, hey, you got to look at your heart. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What comes out of our heart is what the issue is. Matthew 15, 18 through 20 says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. From the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries. Funny, he maybe already talked about all this in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's just re-emphasizing it. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual moralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. These are the things that defile a person. The heart of the matter today is this. It's truthfulness. Truthfulness. It's integrity. It's being a person who keeps their word. That's a hard thing. This is what Jesus is hitting on. Do you have truth in your heart? Because that's what's supposed to be overflowing, as he talked about in Matthew 15 and Matthew 12. According to those verses, it doesn't happen naturally. We have to have a changed heart. A changed heart by Jesus. Because you know what? We live in a world full of empty promises. We live in a world full of empty promises. We live in a world where it's hard to trust. Wouldn't it be nice if that wasn't the case, though? I mean, honestly, wouldn't it be nice if people, not to go Dr. Seuss on you, but to say what they meant and meant what they said, and then actually did what they said they were going to do? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to have in our lives? I mean, I asked Bruce a question yesterday. So why is it do we have to say as we are talking, well, to tell you the truth or to be honest with you. Do you mean if we don't emphasize that statement at the beginning of our statement that we're not telling the truth and we're not being honest with you? Because that's essentially what we're saying. Why is it that way? Why do we have that? Why is it that we have to sing the song that we said, I lay me down, I'm not my own, but it said, I put my hand on my heart, this much is true. You know what you're doing, more or less? Swearing an oath to say, I have no life apart from you. We shouldn't have to say that. We should just say, I have no life apart from you. But there's so much trickery, so much deceit, so many lies in this world, we have to clarify what the truth is. And we have to say what's coming out of our mouth in that way. Let me ask you this. Is there a parent in here that had to teach their kid how to lie? No, we have to teach them what? To tell the truth. Isn't that a crazy thing to think about? But it's really not a surprise because you know who the prince of this world is? Satan. You know what his name is in John 8, 44? The father of lies. It's not a surprise. We, we shouldn't be shocked by all of this. As a matter of fact, John MacArthur says this in the commentary on this passage. This is one of those things I'm like, oh, every word he said stung just a little bit. He said, truth is scarce. Everyone is suspect. Business people, salesmen, clerks, lawyers, doctors, advertisers, teachers, reporters, writers, politicians, and even preachers. With a few exceptions. In fact, the whole of our society is a network of fabrication. We shade the truth. We cheat. We exaggerate. 
We tax dodge. We fail to keep our promises. We flatter for gain. We betray confidence. We make excuses. We tell half-truths. We tell white lies, etc. And that etc., I'm like, you know, there's so many more things we could add to that. How many of us lie to ourselves on a constant basis? And when we look at that, what are the consequences that we deal with because of all of these lies that are tied into this network of fabrication? Who do you trust? I mean, how many of you honestly watch the news and go, I believe what they're actually saying? I believe there's no spin on that. They're just giving me the God honest truth. I can't. Every time I look and go, what are they actually trying to sell? That's the thought that comes to my mind. Because that is what has been implanted into us because we live in this fabrication network. And it's heavy. But it's true. That is the system our society is built on. Imagine with me for a second. If you've ever seen the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. It's all about, if you haven't, I'll just give you a quick thing. He's a lawyer. He lies to his son constantly. His son makes a birthday wish. The birthday wish comes true. That birthday wish is, I just wish my dad could not tell a lie. Imagine being a lawyer. Well, I shouldn't go into that. I'll just leave that alone. Um, imagine not being able to tell a lie. Imagine if our entire society for one 24-hour period was unable to lie. What would be the consequences? And I honestly believe it would be a total collapse of our entire society. Everything would fall apart because so many things are built on lies. Everything is built that way. Even though we all know that we should tell the truth. We've all been taught by our parents to tell the truth. We all know we want the truth told to us. Nobody wants to be lied to. And then, on top of that, here in this room, my guess is you claim by your profession to follow the truth. Because Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. Not I'm a truth, I am the truth. We claim to follow that truth. So why is it so hard for us to do? I mean, I love how Mark Twain puts it. He says, tell the tr truth and you don't have to remember anything. Because when we lie, man, we have to remember our lies. We have to try and keep that web going. But if we tell the truth, we don't have to remember anything. We know that. But again, we miss far too often. I'm sitting here, I'm talking about the truth. And I know what pops up in your head. Because I went to ethics class in college as well. And the first question is, is it okay to lie in certain situations? You have your Corey Ten Boom. Who lied when she was hiding Jews in her house to the Nazis. So they would their lives would be saved. You can go to biblical and you can look at the, the prostitute Rahab who lied to keep the spies safe when they were looking for the spies. Does that give us an okay to lie? The Bible nowhere condones lying. Nowhere says, hey, it's okay in this specific circumstance. Now, because we live in a sinful world, I will say this, and it is a rarity, and I am no, I'm not trying to twist or manipulate the scripture, but I believe if there is a lesser evil to protect from a greater evil, then by all means do it. But rarely are we going to find ourselves in that situation. That's where we find Corey Ten Boom. That's where we find Rahab. That type of situation. But other than that, man, we need to tell the truth. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles open, hopefully you do. If your screen went to sleep, wake it back up. We're going to be reading from 37, or 33 to 37 today. This is what it says. Again, 
because again he's saying it you have heard that it was said to our ancestors you must not break your oaths but you must keep your oaths to the Lord but I tell you don't take an oath at all either by heaven because it's in God's it's God's throne or by earth because it is his footstool or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king do not swear by your head because no you cannot make a single hair white or black but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no anything more than this is from the evil one let's pray and just ask God to reveal the truth to us this morning fathers we dive in it seems like every week it's just a constant confrontation with my own heart on how to respond on what to say on how to live and I pray today as it is a challenge to me about just being honest I pray you speak to me and you speak through me so others can be confronted with this truth as well. I pray it in your name. Amen. So here's where we are today. It's the same place we've been for the last three weeks. Jesus says, here's how you've misinterpreted the law. Here is what you've been taught. This is what you've heard. Then he says, but I tell you, this is the correct interpretation of that law. And then he wraps up with, this is how you apply it. That's what we're going to do today. So let's start off with the misinterpretation of the law starting in verse 33. It says, Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. So the first thing we need to know here is this is not a direct quote from the Old Testament. There's teachings that were taking place over the span of time that brought this teaching and that teaching and that together and basically all kind of packed into one. So Jesus un. Or, or lays that out but then we can look at the Old Testament just even a few verses to unpack that the first verse I want to look at is Leviticus 19 11 and 12 he says do not steal do not act deceptively or lie to one another do not swear falsely by my name profaning the name of your God I am the Lord continue to unpack by going over to Numbers chapter or Numbers 30 verse 2 says when a man makes a vow to the Lord and swears an oath to put himself under an obligation he must not break his word he must do whatever he has promised Deuteronomy 23 21 through 23 if you make a vow to the Lord your God do not be slow to keep it because he will require it of you and it will be counted against you as a sin but if you refrain from making a vow it will not be counted against you as a sin be careful to do whatever comes from your lips because you have freely vowed what you promised to the Lord your God. Of course, the ninth commandment is another way we can unpack it when it says, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. So we have all of this. The teachers, the scribes, the Pharisees, they had all of this. They saw it, and as they saw it, they went, hmm, that is a high bar to attain. So therefore, we should lower it. And in the way they lowered it here is they put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Okay? They twisted it just a little bit. They took this oath of the Lord and they meant it. They saw that and it says, this is what we have to do. But they began to teach kind of under their breath, saying, unless you cross your fingers. Now that's not actually what they taught. But it's similar. You guys remember putting your cross your fingers behind your back when you're telling, telling the truth or telling a lie because that kept you out of trouble, right? Well, they gave an opportunity for you to stay out of trouble when you lie. You could make an oath, but if you didn't make it to the Lord, you could not 
be held accountable. That was the teaching that was going on. Part of the reason why when we go into a wedding, we say, you're going to make these vows before God and your family and your friends. Because even still, that carries down. We're doing this before God. You have to hold on to it. But what they were teaching is, and there are so many details that I'm not going to go into, but it was as simple as this. As long as you said, I swear by blank, you could get out of it. But if you said, I swear to, you could not get out of it. One little loophole. One little word. And it was all these things. And basically they kept saying, as long as you know the rules on how to get away with lying, then you were okay with lying. You could do it. And Jesus, you know what? He wanted nothing to do with that in his system. He wanted nothing to do with that in his kingdom. He wants truth. He wants consistency. And he wants absolutes. That wasn't what was being presented. I mean, if you really want to go deeper into what he says and he calls out the Pharisees for, he explains it even more in Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. He says this, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. So he's calling them out on it. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is bound uh, on that altar is bound by his oath. Blind people, for which is greater, the gift or the altar, altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, again, there's our therefore. The one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by the one who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and him who sits on it. Basically what we're saying is, is that the Pharisees were coming up with an illogical set of rules. Hey, Charlie, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Uh, absolutely. We're good. We're good. All right. Go ahead. Talk. Hey, say this. Say this. Say tell the truth. I tell I'm through. There you go. Right on. You got it. You nailed it, buddy. All right. But what's going on here is the Pharisees are coming with illogical rules. They don't make any sense. Not that we have logical rules even still today. Um, but their illogical rules don't make any sense. And Jesus says, let's just stop. Let's just stop. Because here's the truth. The truth is, is God is the creator and the Lord of everything. So anything you want to make an oath to falls under him. So therefore, you are always making an oath to him. If you're making a promise, you're making it in him, whether you say his name or not. And if you break that promise, you're dishonoring God. Plain, simple, period. That is what Jesus is saying. He says an oath is an oath. And when you really look at the word in Greek, it actually means to bind something or strengthen something by invoking the name of God on top of your word. It's saying, I'm telling the truth, I swear to God. That's, that's basically what you're saying. Were you told as a little kid not to swear to God? Or to say those words? <gasps> you can't say that because you're being held to a higher standard. That's the reason why. You remember when a person's word was good enough in our life? That we didn't have to throw in the extra thing? Remember when a deal was done with a handshake? I might have really dated myself on that one. Because it was okay. You believed that person. You trusted that person. Especially 
in the church. Well, that's where Jesus starts talking about here next in our passage when he says this in verse 34 of chapter 5. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne or by earth because it's his footstool or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. Now, this is a passage that gets often misinterpreted because they're not taking the context and they're not understanding the contradiction. Some people will see this and say, well, Jesus said don't make an oath at all. So I will not put my hand on the Bible at a courtroom. I will not do those kind of things. But that, that's not what this is saying. Because one, you have to take it into context. First of all, if you look at it, that contradicts the Old Testament because there are plenty of oaths. Even God himself makes an oath in the Old Testament. So we don't want to have that. The second thing is, even really kind of a bigger issue, is that people that Jesus is talking to were out of control with lying. They had gotten to the place they were not keeping their word, but they were making oaths knowingly knowing that they were not going to keep their word. He said, you've got to stop that. You're ruining what an oath is. You're watering it down. Nobody's going to believe anything. So he says, if you're not going to keep it, if you're not going to take that oath, then just stop talking. And he gives specifics. He says, don't make an oath by heaven because it's God's throne. We've already mentioned it, but people were basically not making an oath to God. They thought, well, as long as I don't make an oath to God, I'm good, that I can swear to heaven instead. You know what swearing to heaven does? It makes you seem spiritual. It makes you seem moral. But in reality, you have an underlying desire to rob that person blind. One thing that I've always struggled with in the church, and if this is you, I'm going to just speak honestly to you because... Well, to be honest, um, one of the struggles I've always had is when people use the church for their business practices. Where they come in, they're passing out their business cards and doing that. And we don't have to worry about it as much here because we don't have that much business people that you're going to relate to. But if you go to a large church, you see that often. But the reality really that comes down to is what they're doing is you're using the guise of spirituality and morality because I go to church and you met me at church but they're going to rob you blind. And that's not what Jesus wants. These people had lowered the standards and said, hey, that's the way it's going to be. But Jesus said, nope. Heaven's God's throne. It's still his. You swear by it, whether you swear by heaven or by him, you're being dishonest if you're not following through. He says, or by earth, because it's his footstool. People would make an oath to the earth because they had stuff. Look how much I have prospered. You can trust me. They had material goods. But Jesus says, nope. The earth is God's footstool. It's all his. The earth and everything in it. That's who you're making a promise to. Or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. People would make an oath based on the position, in this case, in Jerusalem. Say, look how good I am. Look at where I am in my status, therefore I have privilege and therefore I get what I want or I get special treatment. Guess what Jesus says? Nope. Everything and everyone, what you are and how you got it, it's because of God. He can give and he can take away. It's all because of him. We're still under the rule of God. Then he says, do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair in your head white or black. Um, basically saying I'm good because I'm good you can trust me because 
I'm good. Look how good I am. Look what I've done. Look at my abilities. Look at my independence. And Jesus says, nope. Nope. God can give and he can take away. You don't have control over the things you think you have. Then he wraps up in verse 37 with really the heart of the matter. He says, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all. That's verse 34. But let the yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than that is from the evil one. What he says is the truth of the matter, truth of the matter and the heart of the matter is truthfulness. It is truthfulness. A person with a changed heart will live a different life and we should be known because we aren't like the rest of the world. The world that is built on lies, we are built on the truth. And we will live by that truth. In the big conversations, we will be truthful. In the basic, ordinary conversations, we will be truthful. How many people exaggerate a story to make a point? I don't know any pastors that do that. But you guys might know somebody that does that every once in a while. The truth is, we all have this weird way of saying, hey, if I just exaggerate, don't, you don't even have to do that. Just tell the truth. We are built on the truth. And there's a couple of things that involve or that truthfulness really involves. And the first one is this. It's honesty. Say what we mean. Mean what we say. No deception. No dishonesty in our conversations, our communications. Don't be sly. No need for exaggerations. Just to make your story sound better. Just be honest. The second thing truthfulness involves is integrity. Stand for truth no matter what. Stand for truth no matter what. If you're in the majority, stand for truth. If you're in the minority, stand for truth. And that's that truth that I'm talking about is not your truth. It is the truth that is founded on the Word of God, that is founded on Jesus Christ, and that's not just here on a Sunday morning when you're talking amongst each other. It's every hour of every day of your entire life. Have integrity. Jesus doesn't just own a small room in your heart. He has the whole thing. He's changed the whole thing. Live that out. If we claim to have the truth and the one who is called the truth living inside of us, it should show. It should show. We should have integrity. In case you wonder what integrity is, this is the secular definition of integrity. Steadfast adherence to a strict moral or ethical code. The state of being unimpaired, soundness. The quality or condition of being whole or undivided. Completeness. Don't be divided. Be complete in Him. Don't say one thing when you're at church and live a different way when you're not. Be for Him. C.S. Lewis described it this way. Integrity is doing the right thing even when nobody's looking. Do it right. Do it well because that's what you said you'd do. I remember as a teenager kind of doing things half-heartedly. I have teenagers that may or may not do things half-heartedly. The truth is, is that if we're representing Christ, we can't do things half-heartedly. We have to do it as to Him. It involves integrity. Truthness also involves purity. Jesus throws in this little last statement. Anything more than that is from the evil one. That's an interesting way to wrap up this section. But what he's saying is, is when we stray from the truth of God, we've given way to the evil one. We've given way to evil, the father of lies, the great deceiver. A life of a believer should be based on a flipped way of thinking. That whole Beatitudes, 
didn't just tell you that to tell you that. Jesus didn't start the Sermon on the Mount just to say it. He was laying the foundation. This is how we should live. That flipped way of living lives to, or that flipped way of thinking lives to a flipped way of living and living the good life. And the good life is found in him. John chapter 10, verse 10. I often quote it. I'll say it again, but it says, the thief comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. How many lies have been a part of that steal, kill, and destroy? How many lives have destroyed other lives? How many have stolen the joy from a life? How many ha have killed an inner person because of a lie? Lies that we've been told, lives that we've said. How many? The answer is too many. Too many. But when we experience Christ... And we have the purity of Christ in our lives and that's what we're living for. How much different and how much better is it? Living the good life. Let me close with this. Is this how we're living? In truthfulness. In honesty. In integrity. In purity. Is this the life that we have? When we sing the words, it will be my joy to say, your will, your way, always. Do we mean it? I lay me down. This much is true. There's no life apart from you. That is a life of truthfulness. That is a life of honesty. That is a life of integrity. That is a life of purity. When we lay ourselves down to the heart of the matter as a follower of Christ, as a person with a new heart, with a new mind, with a new passion, with a new dream, with a new love, we should be known for our credibility. We should be known for our honesty. So much so that we don't have to make oaths with the words, well, the truth of the matter is. Well, to tell you honestly, we shouldn't need that. It should just flow from us and people should believe us because we are followers of Christ. They already know. The thing is, is, if we're not a follower of Christ, if you are not a follower of Christ, and you're stuck in the middle of these web of lies and all the things, Jesus Christ can offer you a new heart. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who, again, for who you are. Thank you for the way you continue to speak to us. Thank you for even using Charlie to tell us, tell the truth. It really is that simple. To just tell the truth to say what we mean, to mean what we say, and then to follow through. Man, how much of a difference could we make in the world if we just did that? You did it. Help us to follow your example. If there are people in this room today, God, that, that just, they're stuck. They're stuck in the web of lies, the web of deceit. And they don't know how to get out. God, I pray they turn to you because you are the one who offers that abundant life, the life outside the lies, not the one that steals, kills, and destroys, but the one that gives us life in abundance. May we turn to you. May we give our hearts to you. May we lift you up in our everyday conversations. May we point our lives to you so that people know the truth and then understand the truth will set them free. I pray in your name. Amen.